So, Grace, you want to be a good church where God will use in the city of Austin, maybe around the state, around the world? Here's how it happens. You fill the church with men and women, boys and girls, that want to become like Christ in all of life. You need to fill the church with disciples. And as we are pursuing this idea of obeying all that the Lord has commanded us, we bring other people along with us. How does that happen? It's right there on the cover of your bulletin. It is spirit plus relationship plus truth. And today, the truth that you must learn to have an enjoyable life, but also effective ministry, the, the good things that God has allowed for you to do and arrange for that to happen. And this is what you need to teach others. This is essential. The right attitude and the values towards wealth. It's very important. As a matter of fact, Jesus talks about the pursuit of wealth, acquisition of wealth, resources, money. He talks more about that than he does heaven or hell. He talks more about that topic than he does prayer. Because money is the greatest threat to who rules your life. And that's why he says in his great sermon, no one can serve two masters. You either hate one or, and love the other, or you are devoted to one, or you despise the other. Here's what he says. You cannot, have, you cannot serve both God and money. I, I, I am constantly overwhelmed by that sentence because this is a battle for your first love, and I didn't think it'd be money. It's a battle for who controls your value system and your worldview. And he says right here, my biggest uh, competition here is money. You can't serve God and money? Yeah, God and money. And so today what we're going to do is we're going to learn about the power of the love of money. Today we're going to learn about desiring wealth is actually overpowering. The mood, if we get this right today, is to be afraid, to be very afraid of the pursuit of wealth. All right, uh, this is, we're going to look at 1 Timothy again, and if you look at the context of 1 Timothy, you can see that how my introduction is serving that, that 1 Timothy is a book about how to have a great ministry in church, and there's six chapters, and one of them, one-sixth of 1 Timothy is dedicated to this subject, because that's how important it is. So today, simple outline, two points, the love of money is overpowering. How to escape the love of money. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going to leave you hanging, okay? The love of money is overpowering. That's the first thing we'll look at. Now, Paul, when we're, we're going to read a couple sentences here together, I want you to see that he's way past nagging. He is adamant that we understand that this coveting is overwhelming to us. So he's going to say three times, he's going to, what's called restatement, he's going to say the same thing three times. He's going to talk about the problem, he's going to talk about the power, and he's going to talk about the cost of this. Okay, so look, three times. Those who want to get rich, okay, those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires, here's the cost, that plunge you into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and, are, and pierced themselves with many griefs. There's the, there's the value three times stated three different ways. And, and that one sentence in the middle, one of the top five misquoted verses in the Bible, right? It doesn't say money is the root of evil. 
That's what we hear all the time. It says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And I, I, I mention that because money itself is not evil. As a matter of fact, God is encouraging people to be ambitious towards this. And many, most, more than, more than half of the Old Testament saints were all blessed by God financially, and they showed their obedience and their faith in God by the use of their resources. So next week, we're going to look at the many wonderful ways that we can experience the wealth that God gives us. And I think there's at least three of those. We'll take time next, or next time we get together, we'll do that. This passage, this passage is about the love of money. This passage is about longing for that, eagerly hoping for that. It's figuring out how to get rich, right? And, and it doesn't matter if we have wealth. This is an ambition. If you're wealth, you might want to want more of that. So it's all about ambition attitude. And the theme of these sentences here, these restatements, is the love of money is overpowering. And the words that are used here are temptation, they lead to a trap, they, it's foolish and harmful desires. Coveting will destroy your soul. There's no better way to do it. And the power, this idea that is, it's overpowering to us, the power of the love of money is found in its addiction and its subtlety. That's what he's going to tell us, in its addictive capabilities and in its subtlety. Here's the power of its addiction. If you look at the sentence carefully, it'll say that we fall into temptation, and then what else does it say? Harmful desires that plunge us into ruin and destruction. If you look at those words, temptation, ruin, and destruction, harmful desires that lead to ruin and destruction, friends, that, those, those are the vocabulary terms of people in addictive lifestyles. Um, you, when you think about those words, that's an addictive vocabulary, and it's, it's because you, we the way you fall into addiction is what's called the tolerance effect, okay? And so you can pick anything, right? Uh, you can pick a, the drug of your choice or sometimes chocolate, candy, whatever it might be. The Internet does this. So here's how good things become vices. Step one, you, you, you take this much, you experience this much of it, and you get this high, and it's awesome. It is, you know, you have a new sense of well-being, and all is good. And then your body becomes tolerant to that much. And some, you come down. And so now you have to take that much to get back up here. And it's, that's where the temptations and the harmful desires come in, right? You have to take more and more. And so, and next thing you know, you're taking this much to get back to where you were normal. That's the tolerance effect. That's the addictive cycle people have. Paul here is saying the love of money has that capability. Because if it's not, if it's, you start off and you say, you know, you, get, you finally get to a place where you're making some money and you, and you buy something that you really like and, you, and, you, and it was a luxury. You could not wait to have it and you get that thing. And it's, it's, it's so much fun to have. You kind of get a little high because, you know, this, this is great. And it's a luxury. And you were living without it before. And you could, you could take it or leave it. And then step two, that becomes the new normal. The luxury becomes a necessity, and that new necessity, you now, what you, what you used to want, now you need, and what you used to be able to take or leave, now you can't do it without, and step three, that becomes your new normal, and then we need something else, something bigger, repeat, 
In my, in my experience, I was, I, just, I was so overwhelmed when I turned 16 that I had a car that I could get running. That was great. That's what I, I felt like I wanted a car, I got a car. And then, and then, and then suddenly I needed a car. And then, and then I wanted a car that it, I didn't have to push down a driveway to start it. And I got one of those, and then, or I fixed the starter, and then I needed one of those. And then I really wanted a car that had an air conditioner, and I got a car with an air conditioner, and now I need a car with an air conditioner. And then I was stuck in traffic one time, and I thought, I don't want to drive stick anymore. I want a car with an automatic transmission. And now I say out loud, I need a car that shifts its own gears. And I said this not very many years ago. I said, I'm not going to get another car unless it has a sunroof. So I went from enjoying having a car to now it has to have, you know, a controlled sunroof. Let me tell you how bad it's gotten in my life. Here's, here's what I've become. This happened last night, or last Sunday, 12, seven days ago, last night. I was forlorn, and I am not often forlorn. And I came in from the garage, and my wife said, Matt, why the forlorn face? And I said, well... You know, I, I got that new iPhone 6 uh, off of Craigslist, and I'm trying to, you know, get it to work on various things in the house, and I, I can't get it to sync to my electric-powered skateboard, and now I can't turn the headlights on my electric-powered skateboard, and so I can't do my usual skate through the neighborhood on Sunday night. And that is why I am forlorn. And I was wondering if you could pray that I could sync these two miracles of technology, so I might be able to enjoy my Sunday evenings as usual. Would you pray for that? And she said, no. <laughs> I will not pray for that. And she said, your mother was right. You are a big baby. <laughs> now, I'm not, sh she didn't actually say that, but I could see it in her eyes, you know. <laughs> Point is, if you want to need to, get, need to get rich, that is an addictive, that is an addictive style of living. You're always going to need more. And not just in it, within itself, the need to be wealthy, but also that it can happen to you socially for your self-esteem, your self-identity. So uh, you, you start out here in the corporate ladder or whatever, and then you get promoted, and that's good, and then you get promoted again. And this is just a normal thing that happens. I'm not suggesting it's even wrong, but you end up running around with a different group of people because maybe it's a different neighborhood or different vacation styles. You have shared leadership maybe at a different level of leadership that other people can't understand. All good. But you've hit this place in your career where you went, oh, my goodness, someday I hope to be there. And now you get there, and guess what happens at that new level? There's always someone higher. There's always somebody vacationing better or doing something better. And it's not about having. It's all about status now. And listen, you could, you could stop, and then that's when the temptations come, and that's when these foolish desires start welling up inside of you. And you can stop right there and say, you know what, this far, no further. Or you can say a little more. And at that point, congratulations, you have just entered the rat race. It's called the rat race because the rats are trapped. It's called the race because you look at the other rats and see how they're doing on their little treadmill thingies and think that really matters. It's an addictive style of or value because of where we're getting our self-identity. So it's not just, you know, the pursuit of wealth all by itself, but it's also in, in influencing, you know, we, we get pulled in and hooked on this 
because of our identity, right? But another way that it happens is, is safety and security. And I think, I think the reason a lot of people are pursuing wealth is they, that's what makes them feel safe. There's a lot of people that can't give like the Bible says because, not of stinginess, but because they, of fear and anxiety. It, it, the, Listen to the addictive style, the tolerance factor. You, you stake some claim. You, you put something in the ground. You say, you know, this is what we need for a rainy day. And then you save up to that amount. And then you think, you know what? I mean, it could really rain a lot, though. So we'll need a little more for a rainy day. Why? Because you're afraid. Well, what about that 500-year flood thing? Maybe we should have enough money for that. And another version of that is retirement. You, you, put, you, right? you, you put something in and you say, I need this much money to retire. That's good. That's responsible. That's biblical. And then when you hit that number, you go, you know how much you need? Here's what happens. You know how much you need for retirement? A little more. Just a little bit more. And you're in. You're hooked. You're pulled in. You're part of it. Because you're eager for money. The love of money has power. It's overwhelming power because it has addictive power. You never have enough. The other reason Paul says that, you know, this pursuit of, of excessive wealth here is, or, or putting your trust in wealth is powerful is because of its subtlety. He says he uses the word trap. It, it, it puts you in a trap. And the idea here is trapping a bird or, or an animal. You, you, you put out a noose and you hide the noose. They step in the noose, and then they're taken up, and then someone yells, it's dinner time. They're done. By the time they've figured out they're caught, it's too late. And in this passage, he says, you're trapped, and it leads to foolishness and foolish right, ambitions, those sorts of things. Foolish in the Bible means a person who uh, is self-deceived. He's wise in his own eyes. Yeah, right. That's what foolish means. I can handle this. And the deceitfulness of riches here he's talking about is, I've got this, I can do this. It's the subtlety of this pursuit of wealth of the love, or the love of money that's supposed to be scary here. If you look at, if you just look at the way Jesus talks and teaches on the Ten Commandments. Just go through and look how he teaches the Ten Commandments. He doesn't teach, he teaches the first nine, sure, you know, in a predictable way in some respects, but the last one, thy shall not covet, he doesn't say in that one like he says in the other one. He, he, he says when it comes to coveting, he says, watch out, <laughs> be on guard. It's like there's a snake, right? That's what he's yelling, that, that there's, you're, you're walking into this trap. And the reason, the reason thy shalt not covet, right, number 10 is different than the other nine, is because of the power of its subtlety. If you look at the other commandments, the, they're not sneaky, I mean, no one, you know, no one's, oh, wow, where'd this laptop come from? Oh, right, I stole it, right? Who is this naked person I'm, I'm in bed with, and where are my clothes? Thou shalt not commit adultery? That doesn't just, like, happen. It doesn't, right, sneak up on you. You don't find yourself holding, going, I have not been cooking, cutting brisket. This is a bloody knife. I think I shall not commit murder. These other commandments, you know when you're doing them. I shall not covet, you slip into that one. And by the time you figure it out, it's already dinner time. And so in Matthew chapter 12, 
A man comes to the greatest teacher of all time, the miracle worker, the God-man, Jesus Christ, and says to him, will you tell my brother to give me part of the inheritance money he owes me? Can you imagine? And, here's, and, Je and Jesus says, look at what it says, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist of the abundance of his possessions. Watch out, be on your guard. You are redefining yourself in this conversation. You are projecting that you are already cooked. Put a fork in this guy, he's gone. All kinds of greed, it says. That's the power of the subtlety. The love of money, this pursuit of wealth, it has so much power because of its addictive capabilities and because of its subtlety. That's what Paul is telling us here, and it's going to cost it's going to cost a lot. Three different things, he says, it'll cost our souls. It'll ravage our souls. Three things. First, it says, it will plunge you into ruin and destruction. Plunge, right? That means to drown suddenly. You ever been to the Gulf Coast, right? You know, in our Gulf Coast where you're doing the sandbars, you're, what, ankle deep? You're two bars out, three bars out, ankle deep? Hey, it's just fine. No, actually, it's between two and three, right? That's where this happens. I've got this half a step. You're off the sandbar and you're drowning, and that's where the waves break into your face. You're not doing so good. That's what it means to plunge. Plunge into ruin and destruction. Number one cause of marital strife and divorce, for that matter. Drowning in debt. I mean, our phrase is consistent with the Bible plunge into debt. Next thing he says, besides being plunged into this ruin and destruction, he says, it, uh, the root of all kinds of evil. Watch what this author says, root of all kinds of evil. He says, the statement is that there is no kind of evil which the love of money will not lead men once it takes hold of them. You know what we'd say? We'd say the love of money is like a gateway drug. You want to work your way through the Ten Commandments? Start with, I shall not covet. Start there. Next thing you know, you'll be lying, I shall not lie. And you'll be cheating, sure. And then you'll be stealing, shall not steal. And then next thing you know, you might even be murdering yourself or someone else. It's a gateway drug. There's nothing you won't do. There's all kinds of evil that happens to you once you start down the path of the love of money. Third one, it's, again, these are vivid. They're pictures, right? Pierce themselves with many grief. Pierced. The picture is, right, a, an animal on a spit cooking over an open fire. And it's worse than that because pierced themselves. You did this to you. The many kinds of grief. There is untold sorrow that happens in a human soul when they are pierced like this. They pierce themselves. There's untold sorrow to their own soul, to the souls of the people that they love, and everyone they touch. I didn't, even want, I didn't even want to add a story here. Can you tell me a story of someone, whether they love God or didn't, and they went down this road of the pursuit of wealth, and they, were, they pierced themselves and caused much grief to all of those around them? Can, can just see the hands. You know a story like that? There are a lot of them. And so the idea is this. 
This is most of the, this is the big, biggest point in today's lesson. Can you hear the panic in Paul? Can you hear him crying out to us about the significance of, of this issue in our spiritual life? Let's reread it. For those who want to get rich, they fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Here's a summary. Love of evil. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, they've wandered from the faith, and they've pierced themselves, and I'd say any, everyone else too, with many griefs. That's, that's the problem here. That's the warning here. It's the life of an addict. And I'd like to just say, Hi. My name's Matt. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, and I have a significant issue with this addiction to the love of money. Is there not a single Celebrate Recovery person in here? Could you say, hi, Matt? Do we, do we need to go through this again? Okay, here we go. All right, take two. All right. Hi, I'm Matt. I'm a believer in Jesus Christ, and I struggle with the love of money. Thank you. Now, see, now you're grasping what this passage is. We are all in this addiction. And we need to all do something about it. This is the hardest part of the passage. It, Paul spent the most time on it, so I did too. We'll hurry through the end here. But, okay, let's just pretend, let's just pretend we get it. We understand this passage a little bit better. We're, we have a healthy fear of the love of money. Now what? What's the cure? How do we become like Christ in all of life? How do we become like Christ when it comes to the pursuit of wealth? Money, finances, greed, coveting. Here's the solution. Chapter 6, verses 6 through 8. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world and we'll take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we should be content with that. Clearly, contentment and content is the theme of this, but it says uh, godliness with contentment brings great gain. What's the great gain? It means the great gain is that you have priorities or values in life that are consistent with, what the, with design, with what the Bible says. It means the great gain is that Jesus Christ is running your life and not this other one wrestling for it. That you can only serve one master and you have the right master. Here's the other part of the great gain you get. You get your innocence back. And now you can laugh and celebrate and have joy and happiness independent of circumstances. There has been a load lifted from you if you have godliness with contentment. Because the power of contentment here, the power, this, this is the word that's repeated um, it, is, it means deeply happy, independent of circumstances. This is the crowning virtue of classic Greek virtues. As a matter of fact, it's, this is the sentence that describes it in classic Greek philosophy. The perfect condition, contentment is the perfect condition of life, which no aid or support is needed. Contentment means no matter what happens physically or financially or whatever it might be, your soul is not destroyed. You have an inner peace. You have an inner poise. It is well in your soul. That's what contentment with godliness means. Yes, this is the twin sister of joy, if you know anything about joy. 
There's a Chinese proverb. It's not just the Greeks. Okay, the East. They say, if you're content, you're already rich. That's true. And so you can apply it to those things that we were all worked up about before, like our identity. If you're content within your identity, right, if you're applying that in that context, then you're, you find your identity in Jesus Christ. You find your identity that you've been chosen by God, that you've been adopted. You are called his child. You are his son. You are his daughter. That's great. And in that contentment, you're not threatened by the rats in these cages next to you. And, and you're not arrogant towards the rats in the cage below you. If you're content in the context of security, right, and your safety, then you're not, your first hope is not in your bank account where you need just a little bit more. Your contentment is found in trusting God, His nature, His promises. These things cannot be taken from you. They cannot be lost or stolen. And so now you're not afraid to be generous. Because, because here's, here's your value system, seven and eight. For we brought nothing into the world. I can take nothing out of it. And if I have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. It is well. It is well with my soul. The power of this, right? We talked, most of our time we've been talking about the, the overwhelming power of greed. And now this is more powerful still. So how do we obtain godliness with contentment? How do we acquire that, right? I mean, because here's what we're fighting. 218930000000 per year is spent on advertising dollars to tell you that what you are calling a luxury now is really a necessity. Your wants are needs. And you can't go anywhere on this continent without being told that you're lacking something. You need to get on that. So here's how you find it. It's in Philippians chapter 4. It's, it's, it's the same author, and he's just saying, here's, here's, here's where contentment comes from. Here's how Paul, he says, I have learned the secret of being content. In, look, how, look how contentment is defined now in three different ways. In every situation, whether I was fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or living in want, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He says this is where contentment comes from. It is learned. It is a secret. It is a learned secret. It, it is learned. It is a discipline. It is something you pursue, and then you arrive, and then you have to pursue it again to relearn, and then you get there, and then you have to do it some more. You have, you have to learn to be content. And I would say that it might even be relearning. It might even be remembering. In the innocence of your childhood, there is contentment. Sometimes. Some children, in these moments, short moments, they are content. Because they believe that food or clothing, they can be content with that. And there's an innocence about them. One of the leading founders of psychoanalysis said that there's essentially two stages in every person's life. The first stage is to overcome your childhood, that you need to grow up and take responsibility. You need to playtime is over Peter Pan. That's where we get the Peter Pan syndrome from, right? It's like children need to become adults, stage one. In that, you'll lose your innocence. You'll get hard. You've got to survive. You want to swim with the sharks? You've got to be a shark. 
Stage two, go back and resurrect that innocence lost. Go find that child. Be a, don't be a shark, be a dolphin. Outswim them. Rescue the child innocence. And the goal is to be a grown-up with innocence. And then everything is a joy. The simple things. You remember when you were a child and all it took was a new pair of shoes and you had arrived. Joy overflowing, independent of circumstances. That's what it means to have godliness with contentment, is adult with innocence, the childlike faith. You, me, we need to learn how to do that. It doesn't just happen. We default to one or the other, being a child or being an adult. The second thing is it's a secret, he says. It's, he's learned the secret of. And the idea there is, is we act like it's not a secret. We act like, oh, we know what it is, right? The secret to happiness, the secret of contentment is going to the right school. It's getting the right job. It's getting the right career. It's kind of having the right look. It's having the right amount in savings. And none of those things can do that. All of those are various addictions to something that leads to worse, plunging, Traps, those sorts of things. But listen to what your soul really longs for. Because those desires maybe are indeed from God. The desires are hiding the real, the real thing you desire, the real thing that you need. And that's where the secret comes from. You pursue the desires past their, I guess, their dead end, and you go to what God has for you. And that's the secret here. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I can do all things through Christ, through Christ who gives me strength. And so the, the wantings and the longings of the fake contentments, sure, they're clues. They're gifts from God. They're what we're supposed to be, what we were meant to be, what we could have, but we have lost. And so the love that we think riches might bring us, that's a clue to the love we receive from God. You see? We want to be loved. We want to be loved unconditionally, and we pursue these other things. But the secret, the secret is what we need to learn is we have that love. We want, we want what? Security. And we think we can find that in safety. And security is a good thing. It's a desire that our souls have that would be found in the Garden of Eden before the fall. And he says, yeah, 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 pursue that. But not in savings. You can pursue that safety and that security in the covenant relationship you have with God. He swears by his own name that he will never leave you. He can't. And we find our rest in that. We find our identity. We, are, we, we want to claim we're in this, right, this rat race, and we don't want to be in the rat race anymore. We don't have, know how to get out of this cage. It's okay to want a claim. But our claim is found in this, in our approval from God. He says we're just fine. And now you can enjoy wherever you are. You can be humbly ambitious. You can be responsible without putting your hope there. That's, that's what he's saying. Look at all that we have in Christ. Look, and I'll tell you, I'm, I promise you this is Paul's experience it's many of your experiences, certainly mine, where you learn this, the secret of contentment. And then something happens. 
It's the subtlety of the power. It's the addictive nature of this thing. And you find yourself worried and twisted about things that don't matter, that are, that are temporal, that are superficial. And, we, you know, we're looking for love in all the wrong places, right, the song? We're looking for contentment in all the wrong places. And then what do you do? You relearn the secret of contentment, that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. C.S. Lewis said it this way, in the weight of glory, he who has God and everything else has no more than he who has God only. Let's look at that. He who has God and everything else is no different, has no more than the, God, the person who has God only. And why is that? Because God is infinite. And, and there's no such thing as infinite plus one. And this, this, is, this is logic. Um, uh, Buzz Lightyear says, to infinity and beyond. That's a math joke. And they, math jokes don't usually work. And, you know, right, so it, there's nothing beyond infinity. And that's what they're saying. If, if you have God plus a million billion dollars, you're no better off than the person who has God only, God alone, because his infinitude fills in all the gaps. Here it is. Here's the secret to contentment that godliness with contentment will bring you great gain. This is it. Now you have to learn this, and you're going to have to relearn it, that your hope would be in Christ alone. That your hope would be in Christ alone for your safety. Be like Christ in all of life. That your hope would be in Christ alone for your security. That your hope would be in Christ alone for your safety. That your ultimate hope would be in Christ alone for your future. I know just by your attendance here today that Christ is a very important part of your life. That's not enough. You can only serve one master. Jesus Christ has to be first because it's true. He is the king of all kings. He's the Lord of all lords. He has to be first because of who he is. He has to be first because of what he does, what he has done for us. He has set us free from the bondage of sin. He has conquered death and danced on its grave. He has to be first in our life because, according to this passage, it is the only way it works the love of money has overwhelming power. It's addictive in nature. It's subtle. It's sneaky. It'll grab you and pull you down and plunge you into ruin. I am Matt, and I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, and I struggle with his addiction to the love of money. Step one. And Jesus Christ is stronger than that. That is the secret to godliness and contentment. Let's pray in our souls that we might place Jesus where he belongs. First, on a throne. 
Jesus wants to talk to you. If you'll bow your head and close your eyes. Here's Jesus. He's talking to you. No one, hey, you can't serve two masters. You're either going to hate one and love the other, or you're going to be devoted to one, and you'll despise the other. You can't serve me and money. So listen, listen. You don't have to worry about your life, what you're going to eat and what you're going to drink, about your body, what you're going to wear. Life is so much more than food, and your body is so much more than clothes. Just look around. Look at the way I care for the birds. They don't reap or sow or store. They don't have barns. My father feeds them. Aren't you more valuable than they? Can you add a single moment to your life through all this worrying? So why do you worry so much about your clothes? Have you seen the flowers? Are there any two even alike? I am extravagant. They don't labor. They don't toil. Solomon in his day, in all of his splendor, would look down at these flowers and wish he could dress like they. Aren't you worth more than the flowers? They're just going to get burned up as soon as the sun comes out. Where's your faith? So don't worry. Don't be saying, what are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? What are we going to wear? I hear those prayers from pagans all the time. Here's the secret of contentment. Seek first my kingdom, my righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. Don't you worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow, it has enough stuff. Let's just live each day, one at a time. Seek first my kingdom. That's the secret. Lord, I pray these things to be true in our lives. If they're new, let us try to understand them as much as we can. If they're a review, let us believe them and live them out. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.